Welcome to Healthy Brain, Happy Body, a podcast from the Northeast Region Biofeedback Society. I'm your host, Dr. Saul Rosenthal. We're talking with some of the speakers coming to our 2022 NRBS conference, where the focus is stress, anxiety, and burnout. Today, our guide to the healthy brain and happy body is Dr. Mary Jo Sabo. Dr. Sabo is probably best known for the Yonkers Project, which brought neurofeedback into several public schools in New York. Together with Harry Campbell, who we'll talk to in the next episode, Dr. Sabo showed that neurofeedback training works in the school setting and can be well-received by teachers, administrators, the kids, and the families. Children with long-standing behavioral and learning problems, many from multi-challenged homes, showed significant improvements in school performance. I talked with Dr. Sabo about what made the Yonkers Project special and how we might bring neurofeedback into other school systems. So first of all, most of us biofeedback providers probably know about the Yonkers Project, or we should, uh, but for parents and other sorts of providers out there, how would you describe it? I would describe it as a very unique school program that at the time I started a website called The Ripple Effect. What happened is I met a parent with a child, worked with the child, and at the time did not know that she was a principal in a public school. And from there, everything just rippled out because the child had a good reaction to the neurofeedback, was helped, and she wanted to bring it to her babies at that time in Yonkers. So it, it was, everything was right. Everything was ready for us to go into the schools. It, it's just like it rippled and it was such a, a wonderful program. And we helped, we really helped hundreds of children over the seven years that we were there. You know, maybe even into the, we gave, had thousands, you could say almost of sessions over that period of time. It was successful. It was unique. And we found out by doing that, that it, it works in a school environment. It works in a school setting. So that kind of like is how we approached it, working in that academic environment. How did you find the kids who would be part of the program or identify the kids who would be part of the program? What sorts of problems were you using the neurofeedback to help? At the time, the school we were in was Enrique Fermi School in Yonkers. And that's where Linda Vergara uh, was. She was the principal there. So there was a lot of attention, concentration, behavioral problems. But because we were in the school, we couldn't use diagnoses. We had to use peak performance training, um, attention training, concentration, focusing, anger management. I would say that most of the children came from, at that time, the teachers. The teachers referred them into our program. And I imagine that the one challenge was getting the kids to kind of buy into it, although I, I, imagine, uh, I would guess that missing class might have been a, a perk. But how, no. how did you work with the kids okay, to, to get Okay, that's in? the most unique part of it, mm. is that once the children, we started working with the children, we had no problem at all them coming into the program or wanting to be in it. Many of them would, you know, you have to remember, we didn't classify it as for dysfunctional children or children mm. with a, you know, they knew that the kids were having problems in the classroom, but the children themselves thought they were coming to a peak performance training program. So it was very positive. We, we never had any negative um, feedback from kids. It, it worked extremely well. And even, you know, as far as the teachers, the parents, we had, we had a tremendous team at that time. And it was a team effort. 
in which we involve the school, the school psychologist, the school, school social worker, teachers, parents, principals, vice principals. So it, it just rippled. It just became such a successful, good program. And the children responded so well that we had no problem with children that didn't want to come. As a matter of fact, I can remember one little boy was going to have a test and he asked his teacher, could he go to the biofeedback room before the test? Because the, you know, with anxiety, it really helped these kids in many, many ways. And there were just so many case histories that we have from that time. So, so I, I like the, the, the ripple the idea of the ripple. So you started with one child who happened to be the child of a principal and brought it into her school. And then how did it ripple to other schools in the system? Okay. So when we went into Linda's school, we set it up where we, I think at the time we might've, we had one computer from Harry. We bought Harry, Harry's equipment because he was accessible. You got to remember it was the nineties. It was, you know, floppy drives and what's, how do you put the computer on (laughs) that kind of a problem? If we had any technical problem, it was good to have Harry. And I think Harry came to the school every week in the beginning, as far as the ripple effect, we started in probably a closet because they couldn't find a classroom for us at the time. So Linda wanted this program so badly that what she did is she gave us, and I don't like to use this word, but she gave us like the worst children in in the school, the kids that had the the behavioral problems. So we had one little boy and he was like, from the time I walked into the school in the principal's office, I walked into the building, it was like September. He was already in there because of behavioral problems. And I'm allowed to use his name because of course we had release forms and everything. His name was Mohammed. So after treating him, and I'm going to say it took pretty much a half a year to get him to a place. I remember Linda had money to give us a summer program and we put Mohammed in the summer program. And one day his mother came in and she, whatever was going on at home, you have to remember these were very dysfunctional families. So a lot of times if you brought the parent in, the child would get severely beaten if he went home. So we handled a lot of the behavioral problems with the teachers, with the principal, with the psychologists in the school. So she came into the building because he came home from school and went into his room and picked up a book. And she like, oh, she couldn't believe this. You know, I think he was in maybe the fourth grade at the time. So she decided she was going to go to the um, a meeting, a school meeting. And she wanted this program to be continued the following year. Now, I think we were running on we, we, we weren't part of their budget at this time. Linda had gotten some money to buy equipment. And I think most of my staff was volunteer that come from my office to work there. We got the attention of the local Westchester TV program. They had a meeting and I'm going to say it was like maybe just before the school year started. And the mother somehow got Mohammed to speak in front of the audience. And he stood up there. And he told, and there's the TV screen on him. He told them that biofeedback saved his life. Mm-hmm. So I'm crying. Linda's crying. We said, maybe the only reason we're here is for this boy, you know, because at that time we didn't know where or what was going to happen. From that point forward, the school board voted to put us into the budget. 
and they gave us money to buy equipment. Again, think of the ripple effect, you know, like um, Mary Calvi, you might know her. She's on channel two. She was married to Mike Spano, the met in politics in Yonkers. Mary was working in Westchester. She was not on CBS television. She's on channel two in the mornings. Um, I think nationwide, I think now. So anyway, there again, rippling, rippling, rippling. From there, we were put in three schools with a budget. Mm -hmm. And then we started to get media attention, you know, because of her. Again, I think there was like Good Morning America, NPR, uh, Parade Magazine. At the, that time, there were newspapers that you could pick up and, and read. Um, magazines started to write about us. I mean, it just was absolutely incredible. And Linda was an exceptional speaker. So she would go on and, and of course we had all the people at that time saying, oh, it's placebo effect because these kids are being rewarded. They're going in, they're getting, you know, good job, you know, positive. A lot of these children never heard good job or, you know, okay, keep that up. You're doing well, you're doing well. So she said, if it's placebo, keep it going because it's working. So it just kept growing and growing and more and more case histories, more and more parents seeing a change. It, kids, I remember one little boy, he was he used to go in the closet all the time and the teacher finally let him just sit in there. When we did his history, he came from a very alcoholic family and he told NPR, they said, well, what made you change? And he said, I don't know. One day I just came out of the closet. It was so precious, you know, and we're all laughing there. It's, so that's just like, I can just, I have to zero in on when Harry and I are together, we feed off each other. That, that's kind of mm -hmm. like what happens. But there are so many stories and there's such a history behind that time. But I think the most important thing that we can convey is that it worked. And if it worked in this environment, one day I went and there were body lines. There had been a shooting in front of one of the schools. I mean, I'm talking about Yonkers. Somebody said to me it was the armpit of New York. You know, I said, I mean, there are a lot of things that were said at that time. But if it worked there, our, our thoughts were always take it and put it in another environment, which we did. We put it in the uh, American School for the Deaf after we were we finished with Yonkers. We went up there and worked with deaf children for a while. Very successful there as well. I was in West Point for a short time. Um, we did a pilot program there, but West Point doesn't have any problems. You realize that it's just was still just all peak performance for them. So there, you know, there's just a lot of history in this, and I think again, if we can convey, um, just yesterday, someone told me about a program in the Orthodox community called Comfort Therapy. Have you ever heard of that? I haven't actually. It's money that is given to schools for the kids who had such challenges during the um, pandemic. And it's for anxiety. I, I didn't even know that that was out there, but it is out there in New York. Um, I have some people now that are looking into it and seeing what funds are available a program that could be put into schools to help kids and think of neurofeedback, biofeedback, what it does, it, it just helps children focus, concentrate, but we're also getting them into that brainwave, the SMR or mid-beta where they can function once again.
But obviously, this is a really stressful time for kids, for students, yeah. for young, young oh, yeah. adults and teenagers. Are, do you know of any other projects that are going on now, like the Yonkers Project, that bring neurofeedback into the schools? Uh, Harry and I were trying to find that out. We were trying to do a little homework to see if there were any, any other school programs. I don't know if you can get a public school to fund a program like we did. I think at that time, our budget was like $225,000. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of money in those days as well. Private schools, yes. I think there were some private schools, just like now the yeshivas are getting this funding, this comfort therapy. They're calling it comfort therapy. Is it out there? I would imagine that there might be some private schools that are, are utilizing the technology. You know, maybe speaking about it now, might someone might come forward and say, oh, yeah, you know, I do it in, in my building. Back in the early 2000s, there were quite a few schools that would contact me, school psychologists. And, and I remember they were purchasing equipment and bringing it in. Funding was always a challenge. That was the big thing, funding. You know, obviously we're advocates for this approach. You know, I work with, with kids uh, and can see these changes. What would you say to parents who may be listening, who may be even coming to the conference and want to bring bio or neurofeedback into schools? Do you have any tips for them for advocacy or to try to bring funding or at least uh, to, to get a positive, to, to, to bring the message to the school systems themselves? Well, again, go back to that time where a mother, you know, went to the school board and she had a strong voice. Many times it's your clients themselves that you, you never know who's sitting in front of you or who it could be Oprah's best friend, for example. We we were always waiting for her to come. Maybe we wanted her cook or something like that. I think getting parents, a lot of the time it's your own clients that will speak out when they see the changes in their child. The most successful cases I think I've had in private practice are when I do the parent and the child, (laughs) because, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times when you've had this child that's had this behavior for so long, the parent sometimes doesn't recognize. I always say, look for those little baby steps, little changes that you see. And then when the parent starts to experience the neurofeedback, they get it. They really get it. They get what's going on and, and they begin to calm down their nervous systems as well. You know, I would probably emphasize getting parents involved and, and being a voice. I mean, speaking out, going to meetings. We, we did a lot of meetings in those days. Mm-hmm. And that's how I think Linda found us. She, she found us in, in the community. And she was desperate. I mean, he had been kicked out of public school, private school, and her son couldn't even sit at the table and eat with them. I, I guess you know the extremes. You, you know what I'm sure. talking about. Absolutely. And those of us in the field know how, what that does to a family. Sometimes it's, it's really important to get the voice out. A woman said to me yesterday, this is very unique. How come I never heard of it before? And I think that that's really true in our field. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about it, where is it? Where, where do we hear about it except among ourselves? We could talk to, for hours about that issue. Yes, uh, yes, we could. <laughs> so what, obviously, and actually this, this, this sort of 
raises a question in my own head, uh, kind of related, which is, you know, we're, we're providers, we, we provide to the services to our clients. Is there an advantage to bringing it into the school versus bringing the kids into our office? I think it's both. I think you have some children that you need to do that one-on-one and you, you have the, you know, I always say it's like a wheel, a bicycle wheel, and they really get this and like, we are one of the spokes in the wheel you know, good diet, good uh, parenting is a spiritual part of it. It, We talk about everything. It's a really good peak performance program in the schools. And I would go, I think we called it performance enhancement program, a PEP program when we were Mm -hmm. in the schools. I think they go together. I don't think you can just say, oh, let's just only work in private practice. I think, you know, there are, it can help many children. It doesn't only have have to help in the kids who have ADD or ADHD or anxiety disorder or whatever labels we give them, it can help just the child who's an overachiever, not end up with stress headaches and, and stomach aches. Get the parents involved, speak. If you're invited to, you know, especially the new people in the field, if you're invited to present somewhere, do it, you know, take those invitations up. You'll increase your practice, but you'll also get more information out there about what we do. Is there anything else you'd want to say to people listening or, or about the talk you're going to be giving? I think in, in another lifetime, I would be a motivational speaker <laughs> because I approach everything from a very positive place. And I do think the success I've had over the years is because of my ability to show my passion. I have a passion for what I do. It's probably why I'm still doing it at this age, okay? And I think I would encourage you to speak and just give out as much information as you can whenever you can. And you never know who's going to walk through that door in your office. And another Linda one day could walk into any one of us, or, you know, especially, like I say, the newer providers out there and, and this field could, who knows what could happen. It's a, it's a great, what we do is incredible. And I think a lot of people just don't know we have this tool. We have this incredible tool that does change people's lives. It changes lives of families when you can help one child when you can help one teenager teenagers are tougher to work with though I think you know that Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I created um my waiting room is very comfortable and one young boy came into me he had headaches and he said I feel like I'm sitting in somebody's living room I wanted them not to think that they were going into you know like a, a medical office and even in the schools I can tell you just one quick story I had read that they had locked, you know, kids who had behavioral problems, they would put in this padded room. And I thought, how could you do that to a child? So what we did in each school is we made a safe place. We had earphones where they could listen to that that beat of music that helps them get into alpha. Mm -hmm. And it had uh, stuffed animals and books for them to read. And I took shelves and so that they could go there and feel safe. And any child that didn't was having a behavioral problem, the teacher could send to our safe space. So again, create that environment in which the child feels cared for. 
And I think that's what a lot of the children that we had in Yonkers, they came from very, very dysfunctional families. So this was, school was a safe place. We had loving teachers. We had a loving staff. We, I mean, that may, say, may sound phony, but it's not. We had people who cared. And I think that's the most important thing for anyone who's listening or going to take part in this is do this with a passion, really. And, and you have to do it yourself. You must, must work on yourself so that uh, if you're going to do alpha theta training, experience it and see what it feels like so that when they start telling you something, ah, I know, I know. You've been listening to Healthy Brain, Happy Body, a production of the Northeast Region Biofeedback Society. Go to nrbs.org and find out more about the organization, including our trainings, monthly webinars, and yearly conference. I'm your host, Dr. Saul Rosenthal, and our guide today to the healthy brain and happy body was Dr. Mary Jo Sabo, an important member of the neurofeedback community since the 1980s. She's worked with clients, consulted, and trained professionals for more than 30 years. You can learn more about Dr. Sabo and the Yonkers Project at the NRBS annual conference. Remember, you can join us with a 25% discount on October 21st and 22nd virtually by registering with the code HAPPYLISTENER at nrbs.org. Subscribe to this podcast by clicking the subscribe here link in the show notes or wherever you get your podcasts. We really do want to hear from you. Be part of this ongoing conversation by contacting us with your thoughts, ideas, and questions at healthybrain at nrbs.org. Leave us reviews as well. It really helps podcasts like this one reach more listeners. Healthy Brain, Happy Body is produced and edited by me. The theme music is Catch It by Coma Media. Be sure to join us on our next episode as we continue to explore the keys to our well-being on Healthy Brain, Happy Body.